Welcome to the Infrastructure Show. I'm your host, Professor Joseph Schofer of Northwestern University. The Infrastructure Show is designed to present to listeners the reality of America's infrastructure, its condition, why it is the way it is, and what can be done about it. We gratefully acknowledge contributions to sustain the Infrastructure Show from Dr. Robert Peskin, Dr. Raymond Ellis, and Andrea and Ron DeFeo. Permafrost is perennial frozen ground found in the Arctic, Alaska, northern Canada, as well as Russia. Building infrastructure on permafrost, roads, bridges, buildings, and pipelines presents the challenge of assuring sufficient foundation strength. As long as permafrost remains frozen, that strength is reasonably assured, but warming temperatures threaten the viability of existing and future infrastructure. Addressing these changes is important for sustaining life and activities in Arctic regions. To learn about the problems and potential solutions, we've invited Billy Connor, who's the director of the Arctic Infrastructure Development Center at the University of Alaska, to talk with us. Billy, I'm really appreciative that you're spending the time with us. We're happy to be here. First, give us a primer on permafrost. What is it? What does it look like? How far below the surface does it exist? And how strong is it? Okay. Well, interestingly enough, the word permafrost uh, is not particularly helpful to us because all it does is says that the ground has been frozen two or more years. So in the scientific and the engineering world, we actually look at the properties of the permafrost. And uh, without going into all the technical details, what we find is that permafrost with high ice content uh, when it thaws tends to be a lot weaker uh, than permafrost that has low ice content. So when we we put infrastructure on it, one of the first things we do is go look at the ice uh, content of of the permafrost. And then from that, we determine how we're going to build on it. So what determines the ice content? It depends on how it's formed. Uh, it, uh, sometimes uh, it, it's formed by, uh, in layers. Uh, for example, uh, the uh, silts coming off the Alaska Range uh, during the last ice age laid down layers of silt in Fairbanks. And as it's being laid down, uh, it is going through freeze-thaw cycles and creating uh, ice uh, lenses in there. And that creates a lot of, uh, of, um, of ice within the, within the material. Uh, the other way to happen is uh, when we uh, just simply, it gets cold, like what happened on the North Slope, and it cools um, rapidly. Uh, that tends to be a little bit lower in ice content, uh, but we still have the ice wedges. And the ice wedges are really problematic because they're 100% ice. So in a situation like that, do you make a decision not to build in that location? Well, <laughs> the first rule in building infrastructure is avoid permafrost. And so um, we, whenever we can, we, we do tend to avoid it. But uh, in certain circumstances, we cannot. For example, uh, on the north slope of Alaska, it is uh, continuous permafrost. Uh, so we have no choice but build on it. Uh, in Fairbanks, we can often avoid it. And in Anchorage, there's so little permafrost, we can almost always avoid it. So how do you build structures on permafrost? What, what do the foundations look like? Okay, if we're talking about building foundations, uh, uh, oftentimes they're put on piling. Um, that's one option, and the piling go deep enough in order to um, withstand what we anticipate the thaw to be within the life of the structure. Uh, the other way to do it is something called post and pad. Uh, we put a thick pad on the permafrost. That pad helps insulate the permafrost, keep it from thawing. And then we put uh, a pad down on top of that uh, footing and uh, put the building up on a post uh, in that. There are other techniques such as active freezing 
or passive freezing, uh, passive freezing, things like thermal siphons, or uh, we actually pass uh, air through it through a, what we call a pan duct system. So we have a, a number of options, but probably the most common one is uh, simply um, using uh, uh, piling. And they're friction piles, I assume. You're not driving them to rock. Uh, they are pretty much uh, friction pile, but they, uh, they do have some end bearing uh, due to the fact that uh, the ground is frozen. But uh, usually we use uh, freeze-back systems in order to, to, to bond it in. And, and you used the word that uh, is a little bit scaring to me in this era. You said anticipate. That is, what do you expect the temperature trends to be? My presumption is it's gotten harder to anticipate that. Is that a fair assumption? Yes, to some extent. But, you know, the, stuff, the work we've recently done uh, at uh, Point Lay, uh, which is on the northwest coast of, of Alaska, has shown us that uh, the infrastructure itself is causing far more thaw within a community uh, than the climate itself. The climate is warming, of, you know, we're expecting three to six degrees uh, warming over the, um, over the, the next 50 to 100 years. Uh, but in the case of uh, Point Lay, we're seeing uh, complete thaw within the community. And so the rate of change uh, for the community, within the community, the rate of thaw is about uh, 10 to 15 times greater than it is outside. Uh, that's going to be a little bit different if you move into the Fairbanks area where the permafrost is minus one. The permafrost uh, temperature uh, up at uh, up in the north slope is between minus five and minus 12. So we got to be a little bit careful how we look at this. So, and you have good data, so you know what to expect? We have a, a fairly good idea. We're still learning uh, about uh, the rates of, of uh, thaw and, and all of those. We can somewhat predict it. Um, we're very good at predicting for one building, but the problem is we're not very good at doing it for a whole community. Uh, and the reason is pretty straightforward. For example, snow uh, drifting within the community can completely change the uh, thaw characteristics because snow is as good an insulator as the insulation you use in your home. Uh, we also pond water uh, within the community, uh, and um, the reflections off the houses uh, add to the uh, energy balance in that causing thaw. So um, we're not very good at predicting what's going to happen within the community. So what are the manifestations when you have a permafrost failure, when it, it melts? What happens to the building? Well, in the case, let's just take, take Point Lay, I think, is a good example of if we're just talking about temperature. I'm not going to talk about flooding and, and uh, precipitation and all that. But in Point Lay, what's happening is um, about 30% of the piling are, are founded in ice wedges. That's the 100% uh, pure ice uh, in there. And the rest of it is uh, founded in the uh, mounds between the ice wedges. And within the ice wedges, we're seeing uh, thaw uh, up to about uh, six or six to eight feet uh, within the ice wedge. And the piling are only got have ten feet of embedment, so we've only got a, a couple more feet of, of embedment in the in the uh, wedges. In the uh, mounds between them, uh, the ice content there is uh, in excess of forty percent. Uh, and we're seeing about 40% of thaw consolidation in there. So in those areas, uh, we probably got around five feet of uh, embedment left in the, in the piling. And you can imagine what would happen uh, when they get 40-knot winds out there. The house shakes pretty bad. And in fact, some people, when those storms come through, uh, end up spending the night in with the school. 
So do do you experience serious settlement? To this point, we're we're, we're not we're seeing some settlement in a few houses, um, but we're not seeing it yet. But we're uh, we cautioned the North Slope Borough uh, that uh, this is a critical issue that needs to be addressed now. Uh, the uh, we can't wait any longer to come up with uh, with solutions. So we are working with them to try to stabilize the situation. So w- what are the design options? How do you address that? <laughs> you know, we've been working through that for a while now, but one good option for us is to basically bring in um, soil and uh, fill in the uh, depressions uh, in, in, the, in the thaw areas and reestablish uh, drainage. And, and uh, not cheap, but uh, we feel like that that will work. So we're probably talking... Uh, on the order of five or six feet of, of soil being brought in to uh, reestablish the drainage and reestablish the, the embedment depth. The other option is to drive piling alongside the house and then uh, put uh, beams across uh, the piling and then uh, found the house on that, uh, on that new foundation. Uh, that, too, is an option. Uh, it has been tried. It, it does work, and we know it works. Uh, but um, you know there are no cheap solutions. But those are the two, probably the two best that we have at the moment. So you're talking. You talk about houses. What about what I might call more substantial structures, um, office buildings, uh, manufacturing sites, power plants, things like that. Yeah, you know it's interesting. Uh, in, in most cases, uh, those have been more highly engineered, uh, and as a result, uh, most of them seem to be performing quite well at the moment. Um, and we're not having nearly the problems with those structures that we're having in the houses. The houses are much, uh, uh, they tend to be less uh, heavily engineered. Uh, So so what we did, what we've really done is we've taken and done the engineering up front for the heavier structures uh, just because of the cost of them. Yeah, but but houses then call for some kind, may call for retrofit of some kind. Uh, at this point in time, yes. So w- the co- the costs sound like they would be substantial. Can one buy insurance for this? No, I don't think so. Not that I know of. Uh, I, the insurance companies just simply uh, consider that a act of nature, and uh, and it should have been taken care of up front. So no, uh, it's not being done. Mm-hmm. However, what does tend to happen is uh, HUD is building new houses, and so. They sometimes have abandoned that. Uh, we're also looking at um, changing the housing infrastructure, if you will, to more uh, uh, multifamily dwellings and, and have those more highly engineered. Yeah, so you, re- you manage the risk up front. Right. Was, there, was this a special challenge in building the um, Alaska Pipeline? Oh, the Alaska Pipeline was a very interesting one. Uh, that was, interestingly enough, designed pile by pile, foot by foot. And so as they built it, uh, and they were drilling to put the what we call vertical support members in there, uh, the piling in there, um, the, uh, there was a geologist assigned to each uh, crew, and the geologists and geological engineers would make a decision on the spot as to whether to go above ground or below ground and how deep the piling was to go. So it was, was heavily engineered, uh, and but uh, they did uh, design for the permafrost step by step. And it's, uh, the other thing that might be interesting to you on the North Slope, much of that pipeline is um, is uh, above ground or on the ground. And then uh, as you move further south, 
Uh, some of it is above ground, some of it is below ground, depending on the, the, the amount of permafrost there. So were there special actions taken to control the below ground temperature? The below ground temperature, they only put the pipe below ground if there was either no permafrost or uh, what we call thaw-stable permafrost, which is basically frozen sands and gravels. Uh, so uh, in that case, uh, if, it, if it was permafrost, uh, it would not be underground. If it's above ground, uh, they did use uh, thermal piles and many of the uh, uh, vertical support members in order to uh, keep them frozen. And uh, they still check those annually to make sure that they're working properly. And the ones that are not working properly, they go in and uh, recharge or replace. So how does a thermopile work? Well, a very interesting story on that. Um, you can think of a thermopile as um, the rain cycle. Uh, that's the largest uh, thermopile that I know of. So if the, uh, uh, the sun hits the water, it heats it up, turns it to vapor, it goes up and turns into clouds. And then at some point in time, those clouds cool down and the water falls out and comes back to the ground. That is in effect, the basis of a, of a thermosiphon. So if you take that cycle and you put it in a pipe, the ground now becomes uh, this, the uh, heat source. It turns it to vapor. It goes up to the air. And when the air is cold enough, it will turn back to liquid and flow down. And that way you're taking the heat out of the ground. So it's basically the opposite of a, of a refrigeration cycle, it sounds like. Basically, yes. Interesting. Are, are there uh, contaminated storage sites in the region where permafrost is a source of risk? Right now, if you, if you go to Prudhoe Bay and look at the uh, storage sites there, they are very highly engineered. They've got liners in them. Uh, they, the, the nice thing is that they freeze and they seem to do pretty well. Um, some of the villages uh, are not quite, quite as good at that, uh, but uh, they, they have some uh, certainly have some issues. It's when you get further south that you have to pay, start paying more attention to that because, at least at the moment, um, there has been some discussion about what might happen in the future, but uh, I know that the folks uh, who are building those designs up, up there are looking for long-term uh, stability on that. And I'm not an expert in, in the design of those. I have seen them, uh, and I know that they're very complex in the manner they uh, build them. Uh, but as far as I can tell, at, at least for the next 100 years, they should be pretty stable. Sounds pretty good. What's the nature of the, the research that goes on in, in your infrastructure development center? Well, we really are looking at uh, sustainability for, for the future in our, in our buildings uh, and our, our, our transportation network uh, in all of this. So we are, uh, we're looking at roads. Uh, how can we build them more effectively? Uh, some of the new techniques that we have uh, are using something called air convection embankments. Basically, we pile up a bunch of rocks. It creates a, a uh, air convection inside and cools the ground. Doug Gehring did that work uh, for us a, uh, a number of years ago, and that's, that's probably one of the best uh, situations we've got right now. Uh, we're working on a new technique using insulation uh, in order to try to do that. So we're looking at ways to, to stabilize uh, the, the roadway and other ways so that we can um, can uh, manage it uh, through the maintenance activities. Um, in, the, in the area of buildings, we're looking at uh, can we build uh, better foundations uh, in that, and uh, that may include things like uh, different types of piling, uh, 
uh, using uh, thermal siphons to help cool those uh, those pilings uh, in there, or we've been playing around with uh, new foundation types with uh, uh, geodesic trusses underneath the, the structure itself and putting that on a post pad, and those uh, systems are um, adjustable foundations so we can move the structure around in order to make it make it level. Um, and folks are looking at different types of insulation systems uh, and the walls and construction techniques in order to make those uh, houses uh, more cost-effective to build. So a lot, of, a lot of interesting things going on right now. It certainly sounds like you're working hard to stay ahead of the game in support of your local stakeholders. I really appreciate your spending the time with us to give us an education about permafrost and building on permafrost. We've learned a lot from that. So thanks for your time. Okay, thank you. All right. So long. Okay, bye now. Thanks for listening to The Infrastructure Show. If you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did, please subscribe to our podcast and encourage your friends to join us too. The Infrastructure Show is recorded at the Studio Media Recording Company in Evanston, Illinois, under the direction of Scott Steinman, recording engineer with a commitment to great sound. Our producer is Marion Sowers, a journalist with a passion for infrastructure. And I am Professor Joseph Schofer. Few people are more curious about infrastructure than I.